Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn about useful mistakes and smarter choices, becoming a better decision maker. Let's get to it. My first guest is Skip Pritchard. He currently serves as president and CEO of OCLC and previously as president and CEO of Ingram Content Group, Inc. He is a growth-oriented business leader, turnaround specialist, and keynote speaker. The Harvard Business Review labeled him as a relentless giver, and Inc. lists him as a top 100 leadership speaker. Skip Pritchard, bring it on, like sprinkle your magic fairy dust so we can learn from you. I've been listening to your show all day today, trying to look at your format and listen to these great episodes. And you have so much happiness dust. I am on cloud nine. So <laughs> I don't think I can go any higher. Uh, well, then together, the, the, we, we will make some magic happen. Let's talk about this book, The Book of Mistakes. I love that you lead with this title. Well, thank you. Actually, it was a contrarian title. Publishers don't like a negative word in a title. And yet uh, it was so important because people learn far more from our mistakes than our successes. At least that's what I found. Agreed. You know, that we never really learn, transform and grow when life is puppy dogs and kitties. It's so funny <laughs> when we see our social media feeds or people stand up and they give you all these great credentials. We don't identify with success. We identify with struggle and mistakes. And I know that's what makes the most difference to me. So it was a contrarian book to write it that way. And it's something I derive from interviewing over a thousand people and studying success for decades and trying to boil down the research to say, you know, there are really nine mistakes that if you avoid these nine mistakes, you will be far more successful, far more fulfilled, far more happy if you avoid them than if you don't. Number one mistake. Number one mistake is not listening to your show. No, <laughs> but it sounds good. No, 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 no. That's not it. We're, we're the audience. It is a mistake. <laughs> it is a mistake. People should listen to the show. They no. should. No. You know, the number one mistake was actually taken from a lot of research around regrets. If you look at the research around regrets, when people die, they will often say, I wish I would have spent more time being true to myself. And the number one mistake is working on someone else's dream yeah. so often, right? We get swept up. Why did we major in something? Why are we in this job? Why did we get promoted? What are we doing? And we find ourselves in this life and we wonder at some point, wait, what am I doing here? Yeah. And whose movie is this? Who's, yeah. <laughs> whose movie is this? And which character am I and why? I want to be that one. 
you know, it's so important to work on your own dream. Make sure that what you do is the product of your own decision. And you don't want to just end up someplace and then regret at the end of your life saying, wow, I wish I would have been true to myself. And so I think the number one mistake that people make is not being clear on their purpose. You're, you're, you're never happy. You're never fulfilled. You're never going to be a successful if you're working on someone else's dream. A, a clear purpose, I say, attracts people, ideas, and resources. And so what is your purpose? What is your dream? And am I working on it in a constant, consistent way every day? I've got a question about the dream, though. For many people, when you ask them, what is your dream?, Oftentimes, people will say, I don't know, or I'm afraid to dream. That's so true. And what I find is that so many people are not conscious of their energy levels during the day and their interactions. And when you tune into that and say, well, you know, let, let's tune in. What gives you energy? Who gives you energy? Why are you feeling good in this situation? And when are you drained of energy? Oftentimes you'll find that the people, the ideas, the projects that you're working on that give you energy will hold the key to your purpose. And the things that drain you of that energy means you shouldn't. And I've met people who just are extraordinary individuals. They may, I, I met one young man recently, he intellectually was succeeding at his major at a university, but it was draining every essence out of him. He was just wiped out so he could perform because he was smart, but it wasn't giving him energy. And we talked about that and it was amazing to watch him. It was actually a few years ago and he's transferred over to more of a entrepreneur. He actually found all this energy in tennis and he's now really working as an entrepreneur with all these products and services around tennis. And here's his energy just like booming and he's becoming more successful. So Energy to me is one of those key areas to tune into. Agreed. Let's talk about another mistake that people often make. Number, let's go, let's like jump down the list a little bit. We'll jump around. Surrounding yourself with the wrong people. Oh, wow. What a major, major mistake. It is so easy for us to surround ourselves with the wrong people. And there's significant research that shows, actually, over 100 studies that show. If you're going to be around people that drag you down, it's going to affect your social relationships. It's going to affect your health. It's going to affect your wealth building capability. It is so very important. There's one study, Holt Lundstad study. The people that you see daily have the potential to increase your happiness and your earning potential by $100,000 a year. It is that vital. And yet we don't do this consciously. We just sometimes let it happen to us. And that's a key mistake. The fall in the lap syndrome. Well, they're just the people who are around me. So that's good enough. Yeah, it seems like that's what we do. And and yet, you know, we think about I was reading one uh, Inc. magazine article and it, it said a five minute blast of anger from a peer or a boss can impact your immune system for six hours. Five minutes wow. of negativity, six hours. And that is something you have to be conscious of because that has enormous effects on your success. You just yeah. can't allow it. You cannot allow it. You have to guard your mind 
And the people around you are so important. You have to guard yourself from them. That is as important as putting on your burglar alarm at night. I like the way you say that, to guard yourself, but you don't mean it in the sense of walling yourself off to opportunity. You mean protecting yourself and sort of standing your ground in your own power. Exactly. Big difference. Stand in your own power and make sure that your time is spent as an investment. There may be times when you're deliberately with somebody who's not lifting you up and it's not all happy high notes. You're doing it for a reason or you're trying to help them. That's good. That's okay. That, in fact, that's, that's a positive impact on yourself as well. But it's, it's being conscious of it. It's being deliberate about it. It's really saying, I'm not going to just let these people fall into my life. I'm going to choose them. I'm, and, and by the way, Today, with great reading material, books, podcasts, videos, you know, I saw your TED Talk, all of these things that you're able to do, I can choose to put that into my mind. That is the equivalent also of surrounding myself with the right people. It, yeah. it may be virtual, but maybe people I don't know personally, but I'm still surrounded by the people that I'm choosing to let into my mind. It's like curating the input. Yes. Every day, whether it's a, a person, the music we listen to, the news we watch, the in physical environment that we surround ourselves with, we're curating it or we might benefit from doing so. It's so important. I, one of the quotes from my book is the most important microphone in the world is the one inside your mind. Yeah. Don't you know it, brother? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I, I want to ask you a, a really s stupidly simple question. There's no such thing as a stupid question, but why did you write this book? Because when we talk about power, and I, I believe that you possess a lot of it just in your personhood in the work that you do, but you're giving something of yourself through this. Yeah, it's really true. I wanted to write this book for people that were at inflection points in their life who were trying to decide which path to go on to influence them and inspire them to choose a higher path. And it's really the culmination of all this advice and all this wisdom that I got from the opportunity to learn from so many incredibly successful people. And so I really want to help people jumpstart their success. That's really the core reason why I wrote it. And it's interesting. You wrote the book from the perspective of a story. So rather than, you know, a how-to, it's really the story. Talk a little bit about that. Yes, it's so true. You know, I, I read a tremendous number of books each year, and I feature them on my blog. And sadly, a lot of business books are boring. I didn't want to be boring. I wanted people to have a story that they could engage in. And so it was written that way to be different. It was written that way to entertain. Even if you weren't trying to learn something, you would just enjoy the story itself. Uh, Richard Branson says the art of storytelling can drive change. And, you know, I think about this quote, I'm a collector of great quotes. Nelson Mandela, <laughs> he said, don't address their brains, address their hearts. And a story does that. It, it comes in in a different way. It comes in in your heart. And then the brain actually learns more if you come in that way. And so there's a lot of research. There's a Stanford marketing professor, Jennifer Aker, who says that you remember stories 22 times more than just a fact. And 
it, it, other stories uh, actually will impact your oxytocin production in your brain, which helps you learn and empathize better. So we learn more. The research is clear. We learn more with stories. We remember stories. Stories are more entertaining. And so all of those reasons, I wanted to write it in a way that you make people who don't read, say, nonfiction books usually would want to pick it up and read it. Yeah. That's the way I wanted it to be. Well, and when we talk about oxytocin, it's the bonding hormone. It's what makes us feel connected. It's so true. And and using that cognizantly in learning, I think, is really important. And stories do that. I mean, and that's why for generations and generations, we learn through stories. That's what we remember. And that's what I was trying to do here. Yes, the oral tradition. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Skip Pritchard. And we're talking about his new book, The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future. To learn more and to connect with him, please visit www.skippritchard.com. On Twitter, he can be found at Skip Pritchard. And we'll be right back. That's a promise. Before we jump to the break, I want to talk shop with you. When you're running a small business, every minute matters and every dollar counts. So why are so many of us still using big banks that charge us unnecessary fees and can barely communicate? Some of my chief complaints about old school business banking are holds on deposits, being nickeled and dimed by fees for everything. And let's not forget how hard it is to speak with intelligent life when calling customer service. But now there's a modern, friction-free way to do business banking with Aslo. Aslo is a free business checking account with invoicing, bill pay, money transfers, no minimum balance, and no fees. Unlike other banking options, there is no minimum deposit required. You'll never be charged maintenance or overdraft fees and no ridiculous phone system that feels designed to waste your time. Instead of the days or weeks it takes to apply for an account at a traditional bank, when you're still required to go in person with Aslo, you just go to aslo.com and apply in as little as 10 minutes. And there's no waiting to use your account. With Aslo's free instant funding feature, you can deposit up to $1,000 and access it in your account instantly. Aslo is owned by BBVA USA, member FDIC, and because they make business banking easy and offer a fee-free checking account, Money Magazine calls them the best banking option for freelancers and entrepreneurs. And I love Aslo's efficient dashboard and powerful integrations with QuickBooks, making me a very happy camper. Sign up right now with no minimum deposit at aslo.com slash hh and get a free copy of Aslo's Small Business Starter Guide, spelled A-Z-L-O dot com slash hh, and sign up with a free Small Business Starter Guide and no minimum deposit aslo.com slash hh now here comes that pause to learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office visit harvestinghappiness.com and explore lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops corporate programming and speaking engagement services And we're back. Before we return to the conversation, I want to mention the power of resilience. 
Research has proven that resilient folks have a greater ability to bounce back after challenge and adversity. Call it hardiness, grit, or resilience. It is essential in recovering from difficulties. In fact, resilience is a prized character strength of happy people. Now more than ever, resilience is essential in our new normal and our new world of work. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, resilience should be part of every job description. Whether you're ready to make your next important hire or need some rehiring tips, Indeed is here to help you meet your workforce hiring needs. Indeed.com is the number one job site platform in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility in your hiring process. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed will help you find the high-impact hire you need, just like they have done for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash HH. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash HH. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Now let's get back to it. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about useful mistakes and smarter choices, becoming a better decision maker. Let's get back to the conversation with my guest, Skip Pritchard. So Rich, prior to the break, you were talking about writing the book as a story, as a narrative that allows us to connect, you know, connect from the heart, from your experience. And as a business leader and interviewer, by the way, if you had to choose, what are the top three mistakes that people make on their path to success? Well, I think that the top three are probably the first three that I cover in the book. We covered the one on working on someone else's dream. The the second one is allowing someone else to define your value. I mean, a big one. We so often take a label that somebody has put on us As a kid, for instance, somebody said, oh, you're not athletic or maybe in college, somebody said, you're not a great speaker. Whatever that is, it sticks with us and the negative ones stick with us more. We remember those for whatever reason much more. And we cannot allow other people to define our value, right? A life well lived is a life that's true to yourself. And so don't allow and accept limitations and labels that people put on you. Such a big one. And I cover that in depth in the book. And the third one that is a big mistake that people make is accepting excuses. Just awful. And they accept excuses for themselves, which basically puts them in a maze of life where they've allowed themselves to be boxed in in a way that's not healthy. I learned this big time from Rich Gaspari, CEO of Gaspari Nutrition. He was coming through and was actually here in Columbus at the Arnold, which I had no idea is not just a bodybuilding competition, but this massive competition for all kinds of things. But he's a bodybuilder, former Mr. Universe. And he decided, I'm going to be on the cover of this magazine again, like decades later, which, of course, just doesn't happen. 
And he wrote a book called No Excuses and showed how he did it. And then, of course, he was on the magazine. But the point is, anything that we do, we can make excuses. And they can be good excuses. Those excuses can shut us down or we can figure out ways around them. We make, you know, the alarm goes off. I want to run. Maybe tomorrow I want to snooze, et cetera. It's a little excuse or I'm on this diet and I want to do this. At work, people that make excuses. If you look at leadership positions, I'm the CEO of a company. Do I want to choose somebody who's really, really good at making excuses? (laughs) See, I might believe you once. I might believe you twice. But we really don't care about listening to these excuses day in and day out. And I know someone I'm thinking of, someone right now, doesn't work for me, who is so good at making excuses he could bottle that and sell it. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And yet there's no power in that. And if he took the same creativity that he has to make this excuse, he could get the work done. It, it, it's unbelievable. So mm. don't make these excuses. These are, these are really powerful things that get in your way. Excuses will drain your personal power. But I think... For many, the excuse is a veil for fear. Hmm. You know, I think that can be, you know, like I didn't do this because and, you know, everybody's got their becauses. But in a sense, if we really want something like if you want, I'm going to I'm going to put this into into uh, car speak. If you want that car that you have your eye on, that extra super fast, sexy performance car you will set your sight on that and do what's necessary to give yourself that dream. At least many successful people will, right? There's, I, there's just, no- I just did that, so you're speaking my language. All right, I figured as much. I don't know why, <laughs> I just had a hunch <laughs> that I was going down the right street. Nothing could stop you from that. There is no excuse. But if, That's I, right. if I said to you, go write a book, writing a book is not an easy thing. Go write a book about, you know, what not to do and make it into a bestseller and teach a lot of people how to be as successful as can be. You might have, you might have given a hundred excuses why you couldn't get that done. Absolutely true. And so often, you know, there's a variety of reasons why excuses pop up. Sometimes it's because we haven't broken it down into steps of, I only want to write X pages per day, or I only want to do this or, or whatever. But it is the life that becomes one where of accepting excuses each day that is a life that is getting in the way. I mean, when Rich was going through that transformation to put his body back into that initial shape, he had to overcome all of the internal excuses and the voice inside that says you can't do this. So it may be fear. It may be that internal microphones unguarded. Most often, it's because you've surrounded yourself with the wrong people who are feeding into you that that encouragement of the excuse. You see, people at one level, if they're all at one level and there's somebody who wants to go to a different level, that makes them uncomfortable and they will subconsciously try to pull you back to the norm. So what thrusts you out of that mediocrity or that level that everyone's out is if you can rise above that, start surrounding yourself with voices that say, yes, you can do that. No, it's not acceptable that you said no to that. Absolutely. I've written three books. Let me show you how that's done, et cetera. So you can surround yourself with people that will encourage you and not allow you to leave that microphone 
unguarded or to allow other people to pull you back to the norm. Which leads me to my next point, which is to talk about generosity, because people often mistake generosity as something that is monetary. But this idea that we can give of ourselves, as you do, that we can mentor people, that we can find people to mentor us, that that's a different kind of currency that breeds success. It really is. Money is only an echo of value, as Bob Berg says. It it is so important that you're giving back. I find that the more you give back to others, the more successful you are. You're happier if you give back to others. You can get out of depression. I've told someone who was so depressed and it was because they were locked to kind of in this this place of self-centeredness. When she started visiting a nursing home and just pouring herself out and giving, she broke out of these patterns. Obviously, you can't do that if it's clinical or there's serious issues, but generosity breeds success. The more you give, the more it comes back to you. You just see it happening over and over, but it's not just money. It's your time. It's your talents. It's your treasure. All the things that I do, people say, you know, what are you doing? Blogging or speaking or whatever. It's all charitable side, but it's designed because I learn so much from these experiences or sharing other people's learnings that it just comes back to me a hundredfold. I think you're absolutely right in the way you put it. Generosity of spirit is much more than money, but money may be involved, but giving of yourself, it's easy to give money. It's much harder to give of yourself. (laughs) It is easier to give money. Even if you don't have a lot, it's easier to write a check for that $10 donation than it is to get your butt out of bed on a cold winter day and go serve in a soup kitchen. Absolutely. And yet, and there's benefit and power to giving money. I believe in it. But the real power comes of giving of yourself. And it may be that soup kitchen. It may be time listening to a depressed friend or someone who needs to break out of a rut. It may be investing in somebody on the upswing who's just so enthused but needs a little guidance on a certain aspect of their business. The more you pour into other people's lives, the more it comes back to you. It's just amazing. I've seen it time and time again. So it's really approaching life from a place of abundance, not scarcity, which again, sort of taps into, you know, that fear thing, being able to say, you know, really, I don't have to contract myself. I don't have to be small. I don't have to be frugal with my effort as well. It really does. And one of the one of the mistakes in the book is thinking there's a fixed and limited amount of success. Number eight, by the way, Number eight. (laughs) that fixed mindset can shut you down. And the more you realize that life is abundant and that there is no limits. And if you get something, it doesn't mean I can't get something. When somebody would succeed, I've seen people get jealous over that success. I've never understood that. Uh, Some people get frustrated over it. Jim Rohn used to say this over and over, and I, I, I really use it as a philosophy. Don't get frustrated, get fascinated. So whenever you're frustrated and you're like, hey, how come you're achieving that success and I'm not? Don't let that be jealousy and leave it there. Turn it into fascination. Yeah. I'll have what he's having. (laughs) That's right. What are you doing? How's that working? How'd you get started? What steps did you take? I have found people incredibly generous with their time and learning. 
I've had the privilege of having dinner at the Supreme Court with Supreme Court justices. I've interviewed uh, world leaders. I've interviewed leading journalists and winning sports, all kinds of fields. I have never once found a successful person that is not generous in sharing all of the ins and outs of their life and what made them successful. Every time they're willing to do it. And that is so important. And I've also seen people at that second tier, people who haven't broken out. I've I've interviewed country music stars when I lived in Nashville and then kind of people who aren't there. The ones that aren't there are often not really as generous. And I think, wow, is that a symptom of your success is not there yet because of it? Or or did it come later? It's hard to know. But the people who are the most generous in giving are always the most successful people. I've never had that fail. The one thing that is not infinite, and this is number nine of Skip's book, The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future is number nine, drum roll. <laughs> time. time. <laughs> yeah. We don't have unlimited time and we don't for this interview either, I'm sure. But time is the asset that we need to watch all of the time. And the most successful people have a high sense of urgency. They are notoriously driving for the next thing. Now, I'm always learning patience, and you want to learn patience with people, but driving for success is so very important. If you have a goal, get on with it. Otherwise, it's just a dream. And successful people realize that the most precious thing we have is time, which is why generosity of time is so much more important and valuable than money. I believe time, you know, we only have so many seconds each day. How are you spending them? How are you investing them? As you look back at your week, are you proud of how you spent that time? As you look forward the next week, how are you going to invest that time for your future? Are you going to create something great or you're going to allow it to just drain you of all of your energy? Those decisions, those micro decisions each week, that's what puts you onto a path of success, one where you're happy, fulfilled, and going in the right direction, or can drain you of energy and take you exactly where you do not want to go, which is a life of regrets. True that. Wow. Thank you. Skip Pritchard, I'm so like excited that you came here today. It was a surprise on my calendar, and I, and I mean that. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. The book we're talking about is The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future. To learn more about Skip Pritchard's work, please visit www.skippritchard.com. On Twitter, he can be found at Skip Pritchard. And once again, Skip, thank you. Thank you for your time for your generosity in hanging out here with me today. Thank you so much. I have a feeling this is going to be uh, continued in another way because you have such great energy and you're one of those people that I can see uh, is great to surround myself with. So I'm glad to find you and listen to all of these amazing <laughs> podcasts that you have, which obviously your library is quite deep. So thank you for what you've given to the world. Oh, thanks. What's It's what I get to do. And what a great place to live life from, right? It's awesome. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a guarantee. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness. And follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration.
welcome back. We're talking about useful mistakes and smarter choices, becoming a better decision maker. My next guest is Robert Dillenschneider. He is the author of Decisions, Practical Advice from 23 Men and Women Who Shaped the World. Bob Dillenschneider is experienced in a number of communication disciplines and is frequently called upon by the media to provide commentary and strategic public relations insights on major news stories. He has counseled major corporations, professional groups, trade associations, and educational institutions, and has assisted clients in dealings with regulatory agencies, labor unions, and consumer groups, among others. He is the founder and principal of the Dylan Schneider Group and has an MA in journalism from Ohio State University and a BA from the University of Notre Dame, and he is in the house. Hi, Bob. It's just great to be with you and great to be on this show and to feel how lucky your listeners have to be to uh, have talent like you bringing guests to their uh, their living rooms. Oh, thank you. Well, I f- I'm, I'm feeling lucky today to get to hang out with you. We are in the same COVID-19 bubble <laughs> as the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, we are. And you just shared a very interesting piece of news with me that I was very happy for you when you did share it. And I don't know if you feel comfortable sharing it on the show, but I get why it's good news. There is a lot of good news out there. <laughs> There's a lot of fear out there. Uh, because there is so much fear, I literally called my doctor. And I said to my doctor, Doc, I want to have something to eat. What do you think is good? And he said, well, what would you like? And I said, Doc, how about a pizza? And the doctor stroked his chin and I think uh, said, okay, but don't put pepperoni or sausage on it. Just have a regular cheese pizza. It's okay. <laughs> and so I'm going to have a pizza. So your good news for the day is you got a hall pass to eat pizza instead of like watching it and having like like clean, healthy food. Well, that's right. Well, Italians will contend that pizza is clean and healthy. And I've always enjoyed it that way, too. But some some look at it a different way. I'll let you know tomorrow how the pizza came out. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about your book. You have really crafted uh, a very interesting book. And there are a series of these books. But the one we're talking about today is the about uh, 23 men and women who have shaped the world. The book is entitled Decisions. And I want to talk about the factors or the elements that go into decision making and why making decisions consciously is so important. Well, there are probably 35, 36,000 decisions we all make every day. Uh, how to get up, what time to get up, what to wear, what to have, have for breakfast, what car to get in, I mean, where to go, what to do. Probably 35 or 36,000 decisions. There might only be one or two decisions you make. They're really huge decisions and big ones that shape your life. Now, you have to think about all of them, but those one or two are absolutely critical. And what do you do on those one or two decisions? Well, number one, you take advice from as many people as you possibly can. Number two, uh, that they read it with you possibly with the net and look for information that's available online on the topic you're going to make the decision on. That's absolutely critical. Number three, uh, advice. Recognize that the one thing you're going to have to do at the end of the day is you'll be in the room alone and there'll be nobody with you. And you have to make a decision alone based on what it is. So you've got to have this courage. You've got to have the uh, fearlessness to say to yourself, I'm now going to make a decision, and here's what it is. And it could well affect the rest of my life. 
Let me just go back to something you said about that when we make our decisions, we're acting alone. So the act of making the decision and the larger that decision is, can be a very lonely moment in our lives. Absolutely. Uh, When Harry Truman decided to drop the bomb on Hiroshima and let later, a few days later, Nagasaki, he knew that millions of people were going to die. He knew that. That had to be enormous, enormous weight on his mind. Even though he saved millions of people and he brought a terrible war to an end, he had to have in his mind the fact that dropping this bomb, he would, in effect, kill millions of people. That's exactly what happened. Did it affect Harry Truman in his later life? I I don't think so. I think Harry Truman came to grips with the fact that he'd done the right thing. He had taken advice from everybody. He was criticized for it roundly by a lot of people. But I believe he changed the course of history in the world. Did Harry Truman look at it that way? My guess is he didn't, because Harry Truman is the kind of guy, or was the kind of guy, when he uh, was leaving the White House, people said to him, what are you going to do today? Uh, What are you going to do after the presidency? And Harry Truman said, well, I'm going to pack my bag. I'm going to go to Independence, Missouri, where I lived. That's where I'm from. I'm going to go to the third floor, unpack my bag and get to work out in the garden. That's what he said. And uh, so he was really our guy. He was every man. A lot of people want to be like Harry Truman. Yeah. Let's talk about how decisions mark our life. Because we're in your book, Decisions, you're talking about notable people when they are at critical points in their lives making decisions that impact the public at large. But as an individual making these thirty-five to 36,000 decisions a day, most of which were unconscious in doing so, but there are moments in life, such as who we choose to marry, what school we choose to go to, what profession we, we choose in our lives, and other important milestones. How does one approach it on top of what you've already said, collect counsel, research the internet, and recognize that it's a, a lone act that you're making by yourself? Well, the best thing you can possibly do before you make a decision is say to yourself, what is my goal? Why am I doing this? Uh, and if you can answer that question succinctly, in a fair way, that will have an enormous impact on your life. Just a decision, uh, Helder Skelter, uh, could well redound and be negative for you. But a decision which says, I want to go to college, I want to go to Notre Dame. I want to play football at Notre Dame. Those are kind of decisions that shape your life. And uh, you can look at many of the things that you do. Most people out there, I believe, are living lives of quiet desperation. They're doing things they don't really want to do. And I think there's a chance for them to say, here's what I'd really like to do. Let me think about the things that will get me there. And then let me decide to step out and do it. Uh, a lot of people... Don't do that. But those who do generally find a really very positive reaction. And the way one does that is through acts of ordinary courage. I think that's right. I think that you have to stand up and look at the wind coming right at you and say, I'm going to do this. And uh, you've got to recognize that there will probably be criticism of you along the way. Uh, There will probably be uh, people who want to take you down along the way, but I think if you have that courage and have that strength, it will make the decision exactly what you want it to to be. 
What other tools or, or tips can you offer for developing better decision-making ability for those of us who are decisionally challenged? It's a tough question. I think the key to better and better decisions is, one, you got to have a goal. Caesar had the goal of Rome when he crossed, crossed the Rubicon. Luther had the goal of changing the way religion is practiced in the world. I mean, you have to have a goal. Then you have to say to yourself, let me think about all of the things that could get in the way of this goal. When the uh, decision was made to create movable type, which is one of the people in the book, that person had to say to himself, well, all those people that have relied on things other than movable type are not going to like this. So I'm going to have to fight and get this done. Oftentimes, not having money is a, uh, a big part of a decision. If you have money, uh, it makes it a lot easier and a lot softer to to get there. But if you don't, you've got to find a way to uh, come to grips with the needs you have and the ability you have to get that done. So that's extremely important. Now, in the course of your decision, you should really think about it from start to finish. And how much will you need if you need money? And when will you need it so you don't necessarily... I need to have it at the beginning, but you need to end up making sure you're not going to go to a pauper's prison. I want to just mention some of the luminaries that you have studied and write about in the book. I'm just going to give a couple of different categories and a couple of different names. In part one, you talk about War and Peace, and you mentioned Harry Truman, but you also talk about Pablo Picasso, Elie Wiesel, Margaret Thatcher, moving on to commerce and invention, you talk about A.P. Giannini, who was the founder of Bank of America. And after the break, I would love for you to talk a little bit about him. And you also talk about Howard Johnson. In uh, part three, the science category, you talk about Mary Curie and Rachel Carson. And I would love for you to elaborate on those two being, being women, because there aren't that many of them in the book. And then you also talk about breaking boundaries and, and Abraham Lincoln in chapter 15 of the book. So the, the book is rich with different examples and different angles of decisions that were made and the period of time in which they were made in terms of historically. And I'm excited to talk with you about that. The other thing I want to talk with you about when we come back from the break is the fear that many of us find ourselves experiencing during this COVID-19 epidemic, because it's not going away anytime soon. And you and I have spoken about how it will reset power in the world. And I'm anxious to get your take on that. Absolutely. Well, it's not going to go away, but it will be eventually over. And then we look at each other in the mirror and we say, what do we do now? Yes. That's the big question. Which, you know, is, is a, for me, where I sit is, a, it, I say, wow, what opportunity exists? I think it's terrific. I mean, if you've been down in your luck, you really, and this is, I hope people will take this positively, you have a chance to reset your life with this. Yeah. And uh, it's a big opportunity. And that's exactly what I would do. If you've been living high and really getting a lot of things done that make a difference in life, you're challenged to make sure you continue that because you could well have people nipping at your heels. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to return to the conversation with Bob Dylan Schneider. We're talking about his latest book, Decisions, Practical Advice from 23 Men and Women Who Shaped the World. 
To learn more about Bob's work, please visit dylanschneider.com. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise and a good decision to come back. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. are back talking with Robert Dylan Schneider about useful mistakes and smarter choices, becoming a better decision maker. Let's get back to the conversation. And prior to the break, Bob and I were talking about the myriad of decisions that we make in a day and also some examples from the book of luminaries who have made decisions that have impacted the world and history. Bob, I want to turn our attention to the COVID-19 virus and to the fear that is pervasive around the world today and how our lives are being upended by this. I think the uh, the crisis uh, that we're all facing right now has created real fear on the part of a lot of people because a lot of people are sick. Some people are dying. I spoke with a doctor earlier today and he said this weekend he was going to spend time in the ICU and uh, he knew that at least two people were going to die. Well, I put myself around the families of those two people, the people that know those people, the other people that are going to be in the ICU, and they say, this poor fellow is going to die. What's going to happen to me? Well, I think a lot of them are very fearful of that. A lot of people have lost a lot of money. Uh, I remember when I started in business, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, when it climbed above 3,000, was a big deal. Uh, Today, it's much, much higher than that, but in the last few days, a tremendous amount of money is has been lost. A lot of businesses are going out of business, and people that had assignments, people that worked for small businesses, that's not going to be there when they come back. They've got to figure out what to do, a whole new set of skills. In that fear is opportunity, and I think that if people say to themselves, I have talent, I have abilities, I have determination, Here is what I've always wanted to do with my life. I think there's a chance to do that. If you've always wanted to work in a French kitchen making pastry, this is the time to try to do that. If you've always wanted to be somebody that uh, sells clothes, uh, this is the time to go to a place that sells clothes. If you've always wanted to run your own business and be a barber or be a guy that runs a pizza shop, this is the time to do that. This moment was rarely there two or three weeks ago. It is there now for almost everybody. Yeah, it's it's very, very interesting. I think for me as a podcaster, I've been doing this for 10 years and I see this is the second time around, right? The second cycle of 
recession or the first of depression that, that I have witnessed. And for me, being able to do this work and connect with people from all around the world and educate, you know, people, give them some, some brain food is a very joyful mission. And I see that there's a lot of opportunity in this space right now to continue to broadcast without interruption, that that's the best thing that I could do is not stop. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. And I think that the, uh, the ability to do that and to help people overcome their fears and to see the real potential uh, that is out there, because there is real potential in the face of uh, the downside is pretty significant. I remember uh, in Vietnam, uh, was there real potential to, to winning? Uh, we never did win, by the way, but sure there was. There was really the great potential in Vietnam was coming home. And not coming home in a bag, but coming home as a an alive soldier. So I mean, there's there's despite the negatives, despite uh, the imperatives, despite the fear, there are good things that happen. Let's talk a little bit about a couple of the women in the book. Let's talk about Mary Curie. Fantastic person. I mean, she was derided on in many cases when women were not thought of as really. Even second-class citizens, they were just kind of tolerated. But she was smart. She stuck to her guns. She had a determination and a, and a mind. And by the way, she had a great wit as part of her mind. And I don't just cover that as much as I should. Uh, but she stuck with it. And at the end of the day, she came up with something that really changed the course of human history. Did she look back? I wasn't there at the end for her. But enough people have looked back, and they've said, she was a person that really made a difference. Well, if Curry hadn't really stuck at it, then she would not have made that difference. But she did. And uh, thank God for, for, for that, because we're all a little bit better off because of what she did. Talk a little bit about Rachel Carson. Rachel Carson was really not a very significant person. But uh, she saw something a change in the environment that was happening, and she decided to write and talk about it. And so she did. She wrote a book called Silent Spring, which, of course, started the environmental movement. Uh, where would Rachel Carson be today? I have no idea. We've not heard from her. Maybe she's dead. Maybe she's still around. I just really don't know. What I do know is that the environmental movement, whether it's climate change or whether it's saving our cities and towns or protecting certain species, it's significant, and it would, not, it would not have happened without Rachel Carson. Why did Rachel Carson's Silent Spring, why was it effective? Well, it was effective because it gave all of us, the readers, the discipline and the feeling that if we went out there and did something on our own, we could make a difference. So Rachel Carson, in addition to dealing with the environmental movement, addressed the issue of making a difference. And uh, she told us all we could do it, show us, showed us how, and then we went out and did it. The, the youngest person to be included in your book, or at least I believe her to be the youngest, is, and the last chapter in the book is Malala Yousafzai. Malala, again, is a remarkable person. She is. Who had the courage to stand up to people much older than she was, who absolutely threatened her. And I mean, threatened her with her life and threatened her with... Uh, an awful lot of uh, uh, negatives that uh, uh, would come her way and uh, 
and change your life. Uh, she said, not for me, stood up and did the right thing. And I think that, again, uh, all young people should, and she had a focus, all young people should have that uh, determination to do something like that. Let's talk about doing the right thing, choosing to do the right thing. A lot of us will make choices on the easiest thing, not the right thing. I think doing the right thing is hard. Uh, I remember when, Bob, I want you to break the law. And he offered me a tremendous amount of money to do it. And I knew it was wrong. I knew offending him was a mistake as well, because he had certain uh, power over me. So I said to him, Mr. Smith, uh, this is a great idea you've got. But if anybody succeeds with your idea, they'll have to go to prison. And they'll take you with them. And I don't think you'd look good in stripes. So let's not try it. <laughs> I had to walk away from breaking the law. That's just one simple example. But doing the right thing is important. I mean, if there's a uh, a beggar on the street, the beggar uh, is collecting money. And if you watch the beggar closely, at the end of his time collecting the money, the limousine swoops by and picks him up and he leaves, it was not the right thing to give him money. On the other hand, we had an event the other night, and I said to a priest, we'd like you to oversee the event. He said, it'll cost you $2,100. I said to the priest, gee, I think that's a, a fair sum, but I thought it would be a lot more. The priest, of course, started to figure out how he could make more money out of this event. I didn't want anybody to make a nickel out of it, because it was an event that dealt with doing the right thing. So I went down to New York City. I found a priest on 34th Street who gave out free meals uh, every day to the homeless. Uh, he came up and did the event for nothing. Wow. And, you know, I think th this is the other part of the conversation when we talk about decisions and we talk about the reset of power in the world that will come as a result of the coronavirus is that the way we form our capital structure will be different. Yes, money is important as you pointed out in the in the prior segment of the, segment of the show because it makes it makes the ride more comfortable, but it is not the sole capital that we have available to us. You know, there is social capital, emotional capital, and I believe that this is where doing the right thing also comes in. I think that's really important. And I think uh, if you do the right thing, you'll know it, and people around you will know it. And whether you make money from it, frankly, doesn't really make a lot of difference. You've advanced society. You've made life better. You have done the right thing. You've been a part of history. And I think that's really a useful thing to think about. Well, let's talk about that comment about advancing society. When so many of us are challenged with, do I stay home? Do I go to work? Do I shelter in place? Do I follow the suggestions? Do I throw caution to the wind and just go live my, my life? Um, as many people are doing, you know, you still see droves of kids on the beach in during spring break. This is not for the greater good. It just depends. Hopefully some of those kids who are on the beach, when they get off the beach, are going to form a club that will uh, support law enforcement. Hopefully some of those kids on the beach, when they come off the beach, will go to work in a laboratory and try to create something like Madame Curie created. Most of them won't, of course. But I hope some of them do. Uh, I think the idea of 
people coming to grips with the potential out there to change things positively and to change life positively is very real. Most people go through the day, they say, how can I get through the day and just listen to some music tonight and fall asleep and start it again tomorrow. That's not a worthless life, but it's a life that can be dramatically improved by somebody who says, let me try to get through the day and along the way, I'm going to make some good things happen. Yeah. I think that's our challenge, to make good things happen. Gandhi said, be the change we wish to see in the world. Thank you for sharing part of your day with me. It's been, uh, it really has been uplifting for me. The book we're talking about today is one of Bob Dylan Schneider's many books. This one is entitled Decisions, Practical Advice from 23 Men and Women Who Shaped the World. Your future depends on your decisions, so make good ones. Go out there and make wise decisions and maybe study the decisions of those that you admire and follow in their footsteps. To learn more about Bob Dylan Schneider's work, please visit www.dylanschneider.com. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests, Skip Pritchard and Robert Dylan Schneider, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day and remember to stay safe. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.